welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, so Thirsty Theologians uh, got an awesome new kind of like summertime craft beer for you to be watching out for. Limited release, seasonal release from Founders Brewing. It's called Mas Agave. Um, it's, it's like drinking a margarita beer. Tons of lime in it, um, but still sweet. It's almost like, uh, it's not quite a sour, it's almost like a tart beer, um, which I'm not a huge sour fan. I know some people are just really riding that wave uh, super, super hard right now, but that's not really my jam. So I think that it's like a really nice mix, a nice crossover between kind of the sour craze that's going right now and something that people who aren't really into the sours can still enjoy. So lime, it's um, barrel-aged I can't tell if the beer itself is barrel-aged in tequila barrels or if the agave they used to sweeten it was what was barrel-aged in tequila barrels. Either way, um, super good, really kind of like a more refreshing kind of taste for warmer weather and sunshine and everything. So if you get a chance to check it out, definitely would encourage you to uh, take a peek. Mass agave from Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, so um, this morning, I was just going to talk to you about a little bit, something a little bit different than what we've been talking about so far. For the most part, we've been talking about um, more philosophical categories in theology, things like who was Jesus, what's Satan like, um, what is holiness. We just did one about uh, the difference between the black and white variations on sin versus sin as a spectrum. And... um, I think all of those have been really good and really helpful, but they're a little bit more philosophical, right? Um, this morning, I wanted to talk some talk about something that's a little bit more on the practical theology end of things. And, you know, um, a lot of theology gets broken up um, between kind of classic theology categories, like what we've been talking about, and uh, and practical theology. And really, the idea is more about a theology of how do we do things how do we um, bring this into day-to-day life and have it impact um, kind of just the rhythms that we, we live by? So today I wanted to talk about the church, particularly um, in its form, not necessarily its function, although we will touch on that a little bit. Um, you know, the function of the church seems relatively clear in Scripture, um, there's not a ton of debate about what the church is supposed to do. Some people like to church, uh, focus their efforts on reaching people who are not in the church. Other people like to focus on deepening and strengthening the faith of those people who have already decided that church is the way that they're going to live. Whatever. I don't think that's a huge chasm to cross. Um, I also don't think um, it has to be an either-or um, but a lot of churches find themselves on one end or the other. But I think part of the reason why is because of the form of church that we choose to um, operate in, in America in particular. And let me explain what I'm talking about. So back when we had the whole Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, I think it was like 1600s, he decides, you know what, I have been a priest in the Roman Catholic Church for a long time, and as I'm reading the Bible, I am not 
seeing what they're teaching. In fact, I'm seeing something very different. And that um, kind of initial rebellion kind of caught momentum and swept across Europe uh, until many of those people who followed those reformed ideologies ended up coming over to the U.S., what's now the U.S., um, on ships and things like that and settled here. And so really most of what America knows as Christianity is very Protestant, is very Reformed, um, especially in my neck of the woods in West Michigan. Uh, lots of Dutch Reformers settled here. So you want to talk about Reformed. I mean, they are straight up, no, no apologies, like five-point Calvinists Reformed here. But aside from the doctrines themselves, what they also brought with them was this idea of high church. And there really wasn't a whole lot of other ways of doing it back then. You know, there were some very small sects who were doing it a little bit differently. But high church in, in the sense that, you know, the priests had a very specific formal training. They had to be ordained. They wore robes at the front of the, um, like the church um, auditorium or whatever you want to call it sanctuary, um, hymns, and there was a very specific algorithm, so to speak, of what church had to include, what church had to be like in order for it to be church. Um, now, over the years, Americans have kind of broken that down a little bit, and we kind of have the spectrum we call that, and I just described high church, and then the other end is low church. Um, in other words, jeans and t-shirts, you know, maybe the pastor up on the stage has got his Hawaiian shirt flowing, whatever the case may be. There's a rock band instead of an organ, so on and so forth. But still, even though you're kind of changing those elements a little bit, making them a little less formal, the elements themselves are still very much the same. And in, in American culture, what other scenario do you show up in a large building filled with mostly strangers, even if you know a few people, even if you've been there long enough to get acquainted with somebody, most of them are strangers to you, and you sing out loud, half the time songs you don't even know, um, and don't really have access to knowing unless you go to like a Christian bookstore or order a CD from Amazon or whatever, because I guess bookstores are going out of business left and right whatever the case, and then you sit and you listen to somebody talk about a book that is literally thousands of years old, um, and he's given you his best, his uh, best effort, in most cases, his best effort to understand what some guy that he's never met said to a bunch of people that they've never met in a part of the world that they've never been to in a time they have very little information about. What other scenario are people in America doing something like that? And so I think for me, one of my big like kind of pet peeves with what it looks like to be a Christian in America is this idea that church has to look a certain way, it has to be on Sunday morning, it has to include songs at the beginning, a lecture in the middle, and then songs at the end, maybe even an altar call, depending on what part of the country you're in or what denomination your church that you're attending is a part of. And that's not that those things are wrong, but I feel like they're a relic. 
a relic of times past, days past. It becomes a competition of whose service, whose production can be cooler or maybe a little bit more authentic or whatever term you want to use that you're going to gauge betterness, open quote, close quote, by, right? Um, whatever that criteria is, each church is vying to be a little bit more that than the one down the street, right? Um, and I just, when I read the New Testament, I just really don't think that that's what Jesus had in mind. Certainly not what the um, apostles seem to have in mind either. All these um, fractures and, and subtle twists in denomination, there's, there's so many ways in which a church community can determine that you are not one of us. You are one of somebody else. Maybe we're not willing to say that you're not a Christian, but we're willing to say that you haven't figured out the right way to go about things or, or worship God or something along those lines. And so churches have kind of followed this general framework for a long time. And the, the way that they gauge their success and there's so many people who want to try and get away from talking like this, but the way they want to gauge their success is how many butts are in the chairs in their auditorium or their sanctuary on Sunday morning. Are there more this year than last year? Are there more this week than last week, right? Like, how else, how else are you going to gauge when literally your type of worship is an event, right? It's very much like the same thing. There's a day, there's a time of a, a beginning and an end, right? Just like any other event, any other concert you might go to, right? There's flyers and pamphlets and advertisements telling you exactly when to show up, what to expect, and when you can plan on leaving. It's an event. And so like any other event, it's gauged by the number of people who come. So I'd like to propose a different version of church, a form that is, I think, a lot more grounded, a lot more realistic, has better opportunity to accomplish what the church was set out to accomplish, accomplish, which was make disciples. And uh, so I want to lay that out here for you really quick as just like an alternative thought. Um, and, and just to point out too, this isn't something that I'm thinking up in a vacuum somewhere or something like that. Like this isn't some original idea. This has been going on in throughout the world in various forms and ways um, in this format for a long, long time. In fact, the largest church in the world is actually in North Korea. And they have over a hundred thousand people involved in their church. And the way that they do church has nothing to do with a centralized building and a worship band and all of that. Instead, they have hundreds of thousands of people meeting in homes, in smaller, uh, smaller communities of, I don't know, 10 to 20, let's say. And to them, that is their community. That is their church. Because for them, church is less about all of those um, things like music or a lecture or whatever. And it's more about getting to know one another. It's more about um, understanding how to apply the gospel to each other. 
And so um, it's a very different perspective. And because they came at it from a different way, it grew and multiplied. People started hearing about it and they said, wow, I want some of that. Well, then all of a sudden the house is so full, you almost can't even find seats for everybody, even though they're sprawled all across your living room, right? So then they say, all right, this guy seems like he's pretty thoughtful. He's pretty um, good with these people. I think that he could lead one in his own home. So they split off and they send people over across town to meet closer to where they live. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again until there's literally hundreds of thousands of people doing this in North Korea. Um, While I don't necessarily recommend 100,000 people in your church congregation, if you, but if you were going to have 100,000 people, I think that's the best way to do it because each small community has somebody overseeing their needs, their desires, their fears, their hopes, their hang-ups, right? They're, they're being known on a level that is very uncommon in the modern-day church. And so I would love to just throw out there that this is something that's happening in America today. It's It's taking some time to take root, but it is happening. House churches is like the common term for it. Other people like to call them missional communities, or there's different gospel communities, different variations of this term. But whatever the the term you use to describe it, the idea is the same, is that church is less about the production. It would be better for everybody if we set aside the expectations that My service means to seem like a rock show meets an inspirational talk um, that just doesn't produce results, doesn't help us get to know ourselves better and then see how the good news of Jesus Christ changes things for us or um, exposes things for us. And so I think with that as the heart of the mission, right, Matthew uh, 28 talks about the Great Commission is the term we use. It says, um, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you, right? And that's kind of a loose um, um, version of that verse. But whatever the case, like that is at the heart of what it seems like Jesus sent the disciples to do. And it seems like then, straight out of the Gospels, we have the Acts of the Apostles where they literally are going out and doing that everywhere they go. They're baptizing people. They're teaching people. They're forming communities. And these communities weren't uh, congregating in the local temples. They weren't congregating in the local like community center, so to speak. They were getting together in each other's homes. Sometimes during times of persecution, very early in the morning, 4 or 5 a.m., before anybody's out on the road because they're wanting to, they just absolutely cannot miss time together as a community, getting to know one another, diving deeper into who Jesus is and what that means for them. And so I think that that is kind of a template for kind of best case scenario. Now, let me just clarify one thing. I don't think that things were always better back back when. A lot of people kind of get thrown into that rut. Cars were made sturdier and, you know, houses were built without cutting corners. And like, right, we hear all this kind of stuff. I'm not that kind of guy who just thinks that everything was better at one other time. I'm not a nostalgic guy like that. But I do think when it comes down to 
helping people live out the kind of life that Jesus put before us, I really think that um, that looked a lot more like what we can do in a home. A lot of churches have tried to fill this gap by throwing in Bible studies or small groups or whatever term they want to use, but still the focus is Sunday morning. If you don't come on Sunday morning, we want to know, are you okay? But if you miss Bible study, it's like, okay, well, they were busy. Um, And so it just goes to show like where the focus is. It's on that Sunday morning production. It has nothing to do with what's being produced in our lives. What are we discovering as a community about how God's working? How are we coming together to impact our neighbors and the people who are in deep need around us? Um, And I just see so many churches fall flat in those categories and have no way of measuring it even. If they even wanted to say, yeah, we're impacting people's lives, how do you how do you gauge that? By baptisms, by altar calls, right? They they conjure up these these things that will help them put a number on what's happening. But I just don't think that that's the way the church ought to operate. It's not the healthiest way to operate. And so I'm proposing this idea of people who really want to dive in, getting to know their neighbors, getting to know the guy who works behind the register at the gas station around the corner or at the market that you go to for your groceries every week, right? Asking them some questions, getting to know them a little bit. And in time, maybe you say like, hey, we're having a barbecue with a bunch of friends. Why don't you come over and hang out with us? We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You know, and in those kinds of more natural organic, less formal, less event-oriented ways, people get introduced to a community of faith. People who are diving in and trying to live in ways that that Jesus seemed to set out before us. And so um, in time, rather than saying, well, we've got a real big group here, we're at about 30, and our house is bursting at the seams, we better, we better buy a building. We better get ourselves a mortgage and a loan and all of this stuff. Why do that? Why not just say, I've spent the last year working with this group of people and this couple, let's say, that I've gotten to know really well over that time is really flourishing. They're really excited. They know what they're doing. And I think it's time to start talking to them about what would it look like to kind of split this group in half and send some people and and be under your leadership in your home, right? What would it look like for you to host that and for you to show them uh, ways of living out the gospel that I never could have, right? And so in that way, growth looks more like multiplying, like more communities making an impact in their community, not just reaching their neighbors and convincing them to come to a little gathering in their house, but also saying, like, who are the people in our, our neighborhood who just need to be reminded that somebody loves them? Maybe it's an immigrant family who just moved and is struggling. Maybe it's a single parent. Maybe it's somebody who just lost a spouse or a child or whatever. Big church doesn't know about those types of things, most cases, unless somebody reaches out to the church and informs them. But I just don't think that's the way it was meant to be. It was meant to be that you're so connected and so involved and digging so much deeper into your neighborhood that um, 
that you're getting to know what the needs are of those people that they're telling you because you're reaching out and genuinely wanting to know what's going on in their life and how you can help them. And so that's like a snapshot, a, a snapshot of what that might look like. And uh, there are people out there who are doing this, who have way more to say than what I just did. So if you're kind of interested in this and you're saying like, you know what, that sounds good to me. I'd love some more of that. Or maybe you're skeptical and you're like, hmm, I don't know. Let me see something else and, and hear somebody else's perspective and give me the reasons why and all of this kind of stuff. If you want to dig deeper, there's a couple of resources I'd love to throw out there at you. And I'll, I'll make sure that I put them in the notes for the podcast um, as well as put them on the blog at thirstytheology.com. One book that I would highly recommend is called Total Church. Total Church. Um, a couple guys from England who are doing this and seeing some success. And um, I think that they have some really good insights. Don't agree with everything that they're saying and doing, but I think they've got some really good insights and give you a clear picture of what it looks like to do church in this way. Um, another um, resource would be the Table Network. It's a, a group of churches that are kind of sprawled throughout the U.S. in particular, but do have some international ties as well with people trying to do life this way, build communities in this form, and worship God together in smaller groups. Um, so that's the Table Network. There's also also SOMA communities uh, based out of kind of um, um, Seattle, Tacoma area. Uh, definitely find them online and see some of the things that they're doing and how they're talking about things. Um, a speaker and author named Alan Hirsch would be another one that would be worth looking at. He's on uh, YouTube all over the place. He's got a few books. Um, would encourage you to check him out as well. So those would be some, some resources if you're saying, like, I want more of this, or if you're saying I'm skeptical, um, either way, finding more information, I would encourage you to look in those places. So um, just a few thoughts today from a practical theology standpoint that, hey, church doesn't have to look the way that we've always made it look. In fact, we might all be better off if we focused on pursuing things that were a little bit more organic, a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more accessible and look a little bit more like life in America does, having people over, sharing the meal, having conversation. In this case, maybe it's a little bit more about Jesus than a normal conversation has. But whatever the case, I think that that is the future of the American church. If it's going to continue to make um, inroads into our communities, into our larger society, I think it has to start to look different. We can't just double down. We can't just... Uh, refine the production that happens on Sunday morning. And I think that it's time to really rethink how we gather in a way that is um, set up for where where America's headed, where Western culture is going. And so um, check out those resources. If you have questions, go to the blog and post comments under the post with this uh, episode. And uh, I'll look forward to sharing with you again soon. Until then... Stay thirsty, theologians.